This is a reading from Hebrews 12. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much, though it has been painful in my own life, to have received the chastening, the correction. It is a testimony that I am yours. And God, I know that the people that if you have brought into this room who have experienced that that same discipline that you have given, oh, they can call you Abba Father because you have also revealed that they belong to you. So we receive that correction. We receive that discipline, though it has been painful at times, as a reminder that you love us greatly and that you desire good for us. Continue to sanctify us this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that you have blessed us with to open your word. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. We are um, in an interesting passage today, talking about the discipline of the Lord and talking about how um, the Lord um, treats us as sons and daughters of, of Him. And so isn't it incredible that we have this holy God who also lets us call him Father, 
right? This holy God who also is actively involved in life. This makes him different than any other God that we see out in the world, all these false gods that just wait till, till death to judge. But we have a God that's living and active and involved in our life. And so we're going to just dive in to this idea. But before we do, I want to give you a little quick overview of where we're kind of heading. Um, because when we talk about discipline, right, we're like, okay, today's topic of the sermon is discipline. No one's like, yeah, woo, can't wait. Discipline's so exciting. I'm so thankful for discipline. Is that typically people's response to discipline? Uh, typically not, right? So um, that's why we didn't tell you the topic before you came. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the idea of discipline is one of those ideas that um, is just not that popular topic in today's world. This idea of discipline, this idea of respect, this idea of how we treat one another in this way is something that's kind of countercultural. So let's just dive in. The theology of discipline is this. In other words, why does God discipline his children, right? That's kind of a question we might have. Why? Why discipline or why this word for, right? Here's the first two main reasons. Number one, to correct our sin. Right? God says when you sin, there are consequences to that sin, some of, the, some of God's discipline forces wrapped up in the sins that we commit. Our bodies don't react that well when we drink too much alcohol or we do drugs or do these things. Our body doesn't react to those things in the way they're supposed to be. Some consequences are built in, but there are disciplines that come to us because of our sin. The second reason would be because God is training us. He's instructing us in how to live. Now, How? Like, how does God discipline us? If we know these are two primary things, correcting our sin, right, and helping us to be trained in righteousness, then how does he do that? Through providential trials. Like, think about this. You, how many of you ever heard of timeout, right, as a type of discipline, right? Have you thought about the exile of the people of Israel as being like a giant God timeout for them? Right, because what happened? They fell into sin. They started worshiping false gods, and God said, I'm taking you out of this for a while before I bring you back in. Now, one of the things that he does is through providential trials in our life, we have to be disciplined by God. That's why James says it, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and that must finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you want to be mature, you have to walk through the discipline of the Lord. Here's the second thing, the church. How does God discipline us? Through his people, the church, one to another, is how the Lord disciplines. And we're going to dive into all these things. We're going to work through this passage. But the primary purpose of this passage is not particularly discipline. In fact, we'll find it as we start reading. So Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 3, we start here. It says, consider him. Now remember, what was verse 2? Right? Consider him, looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember what verse 2 talked about, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is sitting at the right hand of God, right? We, this is who we're considering Jesus. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews has been considering Jesus. Jesus is better. He's the great high priest. He's the perfect pattern for us to follow with our life. So consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And so this next section, which involves the discipline of the Lord, the purpose of it is so you will not grow weary. Don't grow 
weary. Moms, anybody weary out there? Anybody a little worn out? I guess main man's on that one. Uh-huh. Some, yeah, right? Got a little bit of all that, right? Because we are weary. We run crazy. If you have it, we, we had five or four kids under five. I'm going to say we have five kids. We had four kids under the age of five. Woo! My wife's amazing, right? Four kids in diapers. Feels like what, that's what you do all day is changing diapers, right? We get weary, but we don't want to get weary in our walk with Jesus. Do we get weary? So this next section is all going to be about how do we keep from becoming weary in the Lord. So we're going to talk about nine different keys just as kind of as we walk through these that talk, teach us how to not grow weary in following Jesus. But although the first two are kind of from stuff I've been reading um, so far, because I don't know about you, but I love the Bible. I love reading the Word. Right? I love just being in it and talking about it. In fact, on Wednesday mornings, I meet with a group of guys who've been walking through uh, the book of Revelation together, and it's really fun. So the first key to avoiding weariness is actually going to come from the book of Revelation, because anytime you can read Revelation or Leviticus in a sermon, you got to do it. Right? You just got to jump in. So go to Revelation chapter 2. And we see this incredible book of Revelation, right? Maybe we'll do it one of these days with dragons and all kinds of crazy stuff happening. But at the beginning, he writes this letter to the people in Ephesus. And he's encouraging them about this. And we're going to find our first kind of key to not growing weary inside of this passage. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. They're doing great, but this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first." If you want to keep yourself from growing weary, remember your first love. Do you remember what it was like to first discover Jesus? Do you remember the joy when you figured out that you didn't have to pay for your sins? Do you remember the joy the gospel brought you when you thought, oh no, my life's going to totally be radical and totally be changed, and I'm all for it. Do you remember that time? I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to read the whole Bible in one week. I'm going to do Henry Blackaby's Bible study. I'm going to do this, and we're all so excited. I'm going on a mission to Africa. I'm going, remember that? Remember that joy that when you accepted Jesus, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. And then life smacks you in the face, and we forget. Anytime they begin to grow weary, remember what Christ has done for you. Remember the gospel message and remember why you're doing this thing. We're following Jesus because in Jesus there's true freedom. In him we're set free from the bondage of the world, the bondage of sin, all these things. He will bear us up on wings like eagles. All these incredible verses that encourage us to keep going. Perseverance, endurance. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us. Don't ever lose sight of that. We can easily, can't we? We can easily lose sight of the gospel message because we're so crazy busy all the time. We have kids running everywhere, kids screaming everywhere. Everybody wants to get fed. Everybody wants to get, I mean, it's just crazy life. Don't forget your first love, right? Here's the second thing. Go to Galatians. You're like, I thought this was a Hebrew sermon. It is. We'll get there. Um, but Galatians chapter 6, again, just another verse about um, not growing weary. I think this is so beautiful. It says, verse 6, let, a, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, we, as we have opportunity, let us do good to one another, and especially to those who are the household of faith. We need to do good, right? And this, this concept is we need to sow good seed. But listen, if you sow good seed, it takes a while to grow. It takes a while until the harvest, doesn't it? In fact, we don't know this. I mean, I just go to HB, buy some corn, right? Awesome. I don't have to plant the seed. Wouldn't it be cool? How many of y'all like to garden out there? Wouldn't it be cool if like you plant this? I would garden if this is the way it was, right? I planted a seed. I woke up the next morning, stalk a corn, break it off, eat it, right? I know for our world today, that's way too long. Wait till the next morning. Like when a seed, 5G gardening, right? And then boom, take it off, you go eat it, right? Wouldn't that be cool, right? In fact, if you can garden in Texas, you're a boss, all right? That's amazing, all right? But when you plant the seed, you have to come back day after day and water and take out the weeds. And it takes time for that to grow. So we don't grow weary because we know it's going to yield fruit. And if you've had a garden before, you've given away cucumbers and tomatoes and stuff because it's just so bountiful, isn't it? When the garden grows and you just have all this stuff, it's just so bountiful. It's so amazing how God created it. It's a whole other sermon. But um, it takes time for it to grow. The seeds you're planting are going to take time to grow. The seeds you're planting in your kids are going to take time to develop and grow. The seeds you're planting in the people that are around you, it's not going to be an immediate reaction. It's going to take time for that to grow in their life. It's also going to take time for the seeds of corruption that you're sowing in your life to come to maturity as well. So if you're slightly off, right, you're just a little bit off aim, the further and further you go down the line, the further and further you get away from the truth. This is why we're always reorienting ourselves, reorienting ourselves to the gospel message, coming back to our first love, reminding ourselves of what God has done for us and being patient with endurance what's before him. So don't grow weary, Plant good seeds, you'll eventually get to reap the harvest of those good things, both in your kid's life, in your own life, and the people around you's life, if we endure, right? All right, let's go back to Hebrews 12. Let's jump into some more of these kind of keys of it as well. Let's start in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Whew. Here's the here's here's third thing. Have the proper perspective, Right? The suffering that you're going through, have the right perspective on it. Because remember, Jesus is our pattern. Where did Jesus end up? On the cross. Jesus ends up at the cross, and we're following him. So there's going to be persecution. There's going to be hard things that happen in our life. Don't let those things derail you. If you're like, wait, I signed up for following Jesus because he was going to make me happy. I signed up for Jesus because I'm going to get all these rewards. He's going to pay me back tenfold. That's why I signed up for Jesus. Somebody gave you the wrong gospel. Because we're following Jesus and he ends up at the cross. So where do you think we're going to end up? We're going to end up at that point. Right? It's about us becoming holy. I've heard this about marriage. It's not, marriage is not about making us happy. It's about making us holy. Right? Same with that walk with Christ. 
It's not about making us happy. It's about making us more like him because he's that perfect pattern for us to follow. We have not yet gone to the point of shedding blood. We have not gone to the point yet of having to give our life for this. Then it says this, verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Isn't this amazing? We get to be sons and daughters of the king. Isn't it amazing? God in heaven, the all-powerful, the one that's like spins the globe, right? That, that guy loves us. He adopted us. He chose you and said, I want you to be a part of my family. Isn't that amazing? How do we forget that? We forget that God loves you. Not just the whole world, which he does, but he loves each one of us. And he's adopted each one of us as son. This is why we call him Abba, Father. But along with that, as being a part of the family, as allowing God to call us his, we're going to be his son, he's our father, is the discipline of the Lord. Because what happens next is he begins to quote the Old Testament, pointing us towards discipline. In fact, he's going to quote Proverbs chapter 3. Now, before we get there, I want to kind of see the context of this quote. So go back with me to Proverbs 3, and let's see the context of what the author is going to quote here in Hebrews. Because remember, you got to quote the Old Testament to prove things in the book of Hebrews. That's kind of been our, our mode the entire way through. So here's what it says in Proverbs 3. It said, Let not steadfast love forsake you. Bind them on your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then the barns will be filled, and you will be with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. And then... He's going to quote, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So he's going to tell us here, right, that not to not despise or regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do you invite into your life discipline? Are you like, Lord, bring it? I don't know about you, but I was not an easy kid to discipline, right? So there's kind of two camps in discipline, right? Some of us are hard-headed. Maybe we should raise our hands. Maybe not. Okay. But some of us are like discipline. Like my mom, would, if she put me in timeout, I was so excited because I can invent an imaginary world anywhere, right? My imagination is so vivid. It's like, Think on these things. All right, let's go. Woo! I, I just invent a world, right? So I was the kind of kid who was just like hard to discipline, right? They just had to be stern. They had to be this way and then be that way, right? Where my other people in life, like some, most of my kids, if you discipline their brother, they start crying, right? They just have such a soft, tender heart. Like they just get broken easily. And now me, my sister get disciplined. I'm like, yeah, woo, I'm pumped. It wasn't me this time, right? I'm, I'm competitive in any, every way possible, okay? But, but for others, like my daughters, they just cry. If the other one gets punished, like, oh, why are they getting punished? Like they, just, they just break down because they're such tender-hearted people. 
And we have some tendencies when discipline comes. There's really two that are listed here. Let's look at this verse again. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So when you have discipline, there's two things that could happen. One, we just shrug it off. The discipline of the Lord comes to us and we're just like, we don't learn the lesson. Shrug it off, no big deal, shake it off, and we just go. The other is that it breaks us, that we lose heart, that the discipline comes and we all of a sudden, oh, it breaks our spirit. The truth is in the middle, that when the discipline of the Lord comes, that we, we, we pan it like gold. We're listening, Lord, what do you want me to learn? What are you trying to correct in me? What sin is becoming evident in my life? Lord, what are you trying to train me in with this discipline so I can be mature and complete, so I can be more like Jesus, that we invite in this discipline from him? Whew, that's a radical thinking. It's especially radical because of what he says next, right? Let's keep going. Then he says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you don't want to grow weary, you have to endure discipline with respect. Endure discipline with respect. Why? Because did you notice it? Discipline equals love. Did you notice that? For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. Discipline is not a negative. I know there's that connotation back there. Discipline is love. Love equals discipline. It is hard work to discipline, isn't it? It's hard work. But if you were not to discipline, what would happen to your kids? If the Lord was not to discipline us, what would happen to our lives? Now listen, I don't know. I've been a parent for quite a while, right? You probably have not had this scenario because your kids are amazing. All the beautiful babies getting dedicated today. Probably amazing. But I've been in the middle of the, the playroom and just like watching my kid on the ground just screaming. Like, oh, you hate me. Why would you do this to me? I'm like, you're running around the house with a knife. You can't, oh, I want the knife. I want to run with the knife. Give me the knife. Um, and, and they're just throwing a tantrum on the floor, just uh, completely losing it, right? Would it be a loving father to give in? You know what? You can run around the house with a knife. No problem. Go for it. You, that, that's not a big knife. Let me give you a bigger knife. <laughs> Would that be love? It, it, I mean, honestly, that, that's, that's not love, right? What loving would be to teach them you can't run with a knife, that's not safe for you. But yet, when, we, when God takes away things from us, what do we yell? God, you must hate me. He's like, why would I let you have the thing that's killing you? Your sin is killing you. Why would I? But I like my sin. Give me more of my sin. No. This sin is leading you away from me. You're going to hate me because of this sin if you give yourself to it. Why would we be mad at God when he takes that thing away from us? But we are, aren't we? Because it comes in a direct conflict with our sin. Because honestly, are we really in a struggle with our sin? Remember I said earlier, in our struggle with sin, we haven't gone to the place of shedding blood. Are we really in a confrontation with our sin? 
or are we really kind of just liking it? Or in fact, do we really, really love it? And we're unwilling to let go of that sin in order to be more like Christ. We're just unwilling. This is what it's really coming down to the factor of. Like, God loves us. He wants to discipline us. Let's not be the one on the floor throwing a tantrum when he takes away our sin. Let's learn to submit to him. Um, One of the ways that God does this, one of the ways God disciplines us is through one another. Look what it says in Galatians. Remember, we read Galatians 6 a little while ago. Let's read the verses right ahead of that, um, starting in verse 1. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Do you realize that we're called to discipline one another? That the church is called to discipline one another. Now, I know you probably didn't sign up for membership in, in Fellowship Church going, yes, I want my brothers to call me out on sin. But you realize that's the role of one another. Those of you who, in this room who are spiritually mature, that our job is to, with gentleness, help one another be set free from sin. That if I see something in Eric's life, I should be able to go to Eric. Eric, man, I see this in your life. Stop. And he, out of respect for me and respect for one another and loving relationship, would be willing to stop. Or I go to Colin. Colin, man, I see this in your life. Are you okay? Or, or even more, Colin comes to me and goes, hey, I see this in your life. You need to stop that. You realize that's the role of the church. How many of you are excited about that? Woo. Anybody like, yes, there were no amens on that one. I didn't notice that. We're like, yes, amen, bring it, right? Here's the question. Do you really want to be set free from sin? Do you really want to be free? Do you really want to walk in freedom? Then you invite people into your life. You invite people into your heart. You say, hey, you need to know me more. Yes, here's the areas I struggle. If you see me drifting in that direction, pull me back. Don't let me go into that sin because that's not pleasing to the Lord. That's when it gets real in the church. And if you think it's just me saying that, remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus himself gives us this direction that if you see your brother in sin, you need to go to them. And if you win them over, you've won your brother. You've helped them be set free from sin. But he says, but if they don't, you and a friend go to him. If not, three of you go to him. And if not, then you bring it before the church. And you say, hey, we need to pray for this person because they're not giving, they're, they're living this life of sin and that's not okay. That's the role of the church in people's lives. That's kind of a lost start, isn't it? I mean, think about it. In today's world, how many of us like to get caught out? Not as many, right? But this is the role of God and the church is that he wants us to restore one another back to right fellowship with him. Now listen, we can't make people obey, but we can love them. We can do it with gentleness. We can have relationship and try to win their heart for the Lord. This is what he's challenging us to do, discipline of the Lord. It's quite the challenge, right? Um, Look what it says next in verse 8. If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. 
Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. Woo! Are you ready to invite the discipline of the Lord? Because he knows better how to guide you in your life than you do. Do you trust the Lord that much? Do you trust the Lord enough to say, Lord, you take me wherever you want to take me, not where I think I should go. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Woo! Talk about submission. Talk about laying down our life. Talk about making him Lord of our life. But listen, parents, if you're not willing to discipline your kids, if you're not willing to ask them to submit to your rules and your leadership, how are they ever going to submit to the leadership of the Lord? How are they ever going to lay down their life for what God wants when they're unwilling to sit underneath of your leadership? That's the example we see here. We've had earthly fathers attempt to do this, and we respected them for it. This culture of respect. We're setting the table, we're setting the opportunity for them to view God in the same way and make him Lord of their life. And then verse 11 is the, if you were to ask me, what is like the one verse in all the Bible that teaches me how to discipline? This is the verse. This verse is going to lay out for us three sort of, I don't know, methods, three sort of primary things that are important for us when we begin to discipline our kids. Remember, we're talking about disciplining our kids, but this is also how the Lord disciplines us. So keep that in the background, right? Here's the first, here's what it says. I'll read it all and then we'll break it down. For the moment of for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So if you're thinking, okay, how am I going to discipline my kids? Here's the first thing. Um, it must be painful, not pleasant. Discipline must be painful. Now, the method by which you do it, you get to choose, right? For me, time out, not so effective, right? Had to be other things, right? For our kids, what we did is what we called logical consequences. If our kids sinned on their phone, we took their phone away, right? If they sinned with their car late for curfew, we took their car away, right? If they sinned by something that they said to one another that was ugly, we made them apologize. We made them give basically a speech, recite scripture. If they sin with something physical, we make them do something physically painful, whether it was spanking or they would build things in the yard that they would later tear down because they did it again. Right? We, just, we just did all kinds of things. Whether, whatever it is, it was something logical that went along with what, what their sin was. Because again, we're trying to show them, hey, your sin was this, a better reaction would be this. It had to be something that was painful, not pleasant. Hey, because you uh, said those words, let's eat ice cream. Not good discipline. That's encouragement to do something, right? Giving in was encouragement to do something. Look what it says next. Painful rather than pleasant, and later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. Right? So your discipline must yield the fruit of righteousness. So if you're going to discipline your kids, it's got to yield fruit. What are the fruit? It should be peaceful, right? That's what it said here. Yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Is your discipline peaceful? Not in anger. I had to work on this. Remember football coach? My initial thing was to come in like, raw, bull in the china shop, wreck everything, right? And I had to learn, like, no, no, no. That's not yielding fruit of righteousness, right? Yielding fruit is peaceable, right? You're, you're calm when you're beginning to do these things. Number two, it's producing fruit. What are the fruit that your discipline should be loving, 
It should be self-controlled. It should be gentle. Right? These are the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 that are pointing us towards this is how we should be disciplining our kids and how the Lord disciplines us. Right? And then the last one, your discipline should be instructing. Notice what it said, that you have been trained by it, that God is training us in it. So in other words, when you leave discipline your kids, they should know why they're being disciplined. What are you trying to produce in them? Right? Saying no to a sin, training them in respect or kindness or thoughtfulness, whatever it might be. All of that is what God's design is for discipline in verse 11. Not my design, God's design for discipline. And it's how the Lord disciplines us. He disciplines us so that it will yield a fruit of righteousness. So this is something to remember. When you're being disciplined by the Lord, when you're going through that trial, remember God is producing fruit in you. He's healing your soul. He's bringing about something in you that's going to produce righteousness and good things. We should all want that. So in the midst of that trial, we can still stand firm saying, God is doing something in me. And then in verse 12, he sort of shifts from all of this discipline saying, you can do it. He's going to encourage us and tell us why we should do it. Look what he says in verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not put out of joint, be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That this, what? He's going to discipline me? And we begin to like droop and we begin to like struggle. We're saying like, no, 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 stand up straight. Like lift your hands, strengthen your knees. Like maybe you haven't done this before. Maybe you've not handled the discipline of the Lord well. That's okay. Strengthen your knees. Keep walking in it from now on. Start recognizing maybe this is God teaching me something in here. Maybe I'm going to learn that lesson quicker so discipline doesn't last as long, right? That we can start recognizing that, strengthen. This is a quote actually from Isaiah. Chapter 53, where Isaiah is telling, telling the nation, like, hey, lift your hands, strengthen your knees. You can do it. Make it through, right? Don't just give in because what, what, is, what is weak is going to get dislocated, and then you're going to be permanently hurt, right? Step, step up, strengthen up, right? And then he says this, and make straight the paths for your feet. Where do the paths of God lead? Do they lead to joy? Look at Psalm 1611 which is one of our favorite psalms that we have out um, in our church. We just love this psalm. This is one of the reasons we have path groups, right? Here's what it says. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you knew here's a path to joy, would you take it? And every time you step off the path, you get disciplined. Would you still take it? I would. I mean, I want, to, I want to end up with joy. We love this verse so much that, I don't know if you noticed, we've been rearranging rooms in the kids' area. There's now a room called room 1611. There's no room 1610. There's no room 1612, right? It's just because of this verse, Psalm 1611, that we just love this verse because in his presence is fullness of joy. And discipline keeps us on that path. Remember, discipline equals love. God's discipline for us is his example of love for us as well. Look what it says in verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Ooh, don't weary of striving for peace with everyone. Uh-oh. That's a hard one, isn't it? Let's be honest. 
We, we doesn't mean you can make peace with everyone, but as far as it's concerned with you, you strive for peace with everyone. Don't worry of that. Why? Because you're hoping that through making peace, they have an opportunity to experience God, to experience the holiness of God. Ooh, is that a challenge? It gets even harder. Look what it says next. Not only should we strive for peace with everyone, but see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Woo! Don't let any root of bitterness be in your life. Is there a name that if I said that name, you would like, your mood would change? Like if I just said Chris Smith, you'd be like, oh, that guy? Not him. Is there somebody like that in your life? There's been for me many, many times where if this name came up, my mood changed. That's probably a good sign that you have a root of bitterness. And a root of bitterness is going to produce bad fruit. Jealousy, envy, anger, hatred. Is that what you want in your life? Or do you want the fruit of the Spirit to come in your life? But listen to what it says. Uproot bitterness. In order to uproot something, you got to dig deep. Are you ready for that? To get the root out, you got to dig way down and get it out or it's just going to spring back up again. Let there be no root of bitterness. We don't even realize how much our bitterness is wearing us out. If you want to be, don't grow weary, let go. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. I've gone through this process. It's so freeing if you can truly do that with these people that you have bitterness with. Look what it said. We'll finish up with this in verse 16. See that no one, no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. And he finishes out this section with this example of Esau, this character study of this person Esau. You can go back into Genesis 24 through 27 and read about Esau. Remember the firstborn, Jacob, he looked like Elmo because he's all red and hairy, right? And we have this kind of story of it. But remember, he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup and just all these kind of stories. But he's using this example here because Esau was not the son that he should have been. And I will just kind of summarize it with these kind of three statements, right? Esau despised the birthright. It meant nothing to him until he wanted the blessing. He despised being the son, the firstborn son, until it was time for the reward. And then he was all about that, right? He, he sowed bitterness in his parents' life. In fact, in Genesis 25, I think it's 25 or 26, it talks about how because of his actions, it sowed bitterness in the life of his parents' And yet, when his father was about to die, he wanted his stuff. Even though he sowed bitterness his whole life, he wanted to reap the reward. Right? He sought the blessing with tears. Father, don't you have another blessing for me? Father, don't you have more for me? With tears, but yet he lived his whole life with bitterness towards his father. He lived his whole life with no regard for his father, but all of a sudden, he had reward. Oh, so it shouldn't be. That we live our whole life not caring about God, not caring about the things of God, cursing God for his discipline, cursing God for these things, and yet when we get to the pearly gates, we want to get in. We surrender our life now. We live, and of course, we live as a good son and a good daughter 
in obedience and in joy and inviting the discipline of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the discipline of the Lord because it's keeping me on the path that leads to joy, fullness of joy in him. Are we ready for that? Are we inviting that in? That's the challenge of this passage. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the challenge of this passage that encourages us to walk your path. And Lord, your word is a light into our path and a light into our feet. But Lord, when we stray, I pray that we will all accept your discipline as something of love. That Lord, we will give you the respect that you deserve and to truly be a son and daughter of the king. Lord, help us to not wait, but to act now. Lord, maybe we haven't enjoyed the discipline of the Lord in the past. Lord, we invite you in. We want to become more like your son, Jesus. So help us to walk in that today. Lord, I pray for each one of us in this room. If we have a root of bitterness in our life, that today we'll uproot it. That we won't hold on to these things that have entangled us and pulled us back, Lord. But we will set, be set free in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we want to close out with just a song called Run to the Father and just remind us to run. One of the things that keeps us from running is having our, our feet entangled in sin or to having a root of bitterness. And so during this song, if you need prayer, Paul and Jayton and I will be up front. We would love to pray with you. Maybe, maybe when I mentioned that root of bitterness, a name came up. Don't leave here holding on to that bitterness. Be set free in the Lord. Maybe you have a sin that's just been entangling and you want freedom from that. Come tell us so we can pray for you in that. We don't want you to leave here with a burden. We want you to leave here in the freedom and the joy of the Lord. So if you don't mind standing, we're going to sing this song together. I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created. To bear it alone I hear your invitation To let it all go I see it now I'm laying it down And I know that I need you I run to the Father I fall into grace done with the hiding no reason to wait my heart needs a surgeon my soul needs a friend so I run to the Father again and again and again and again oh 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 yes condition had a plan from the start your son for redemption the price for my heart and I don't have a context for that kind of love I don't understand, I can't comprehend, all I know is I need you, I run to the fire.
My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, 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 again and again and again and again. Before my first breath, running into your arms is a running to life from death, and I feel this rush deep in my chest. Your mercy is calling out just as I am, you pull me in. My soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father again and again. Lord, we run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon, my soul found a friend, so I run to the Father again and again and again and again. discipline again and again and again and man may every time we run towards him in that and get closer to him in that not let it push us away oh, I've run to the Father I've fallen to grace I'm done with the hiding no reason to wait My heart found a surgeon My soul found a friend So I run to the Father Again and again And again and again And Jesus, we would run to you Thank you for Loving us so much that you would save us But loving us so much more that you would not leave us where you saved us, that you would change us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And church, we love you um, so much. Hope you have an amazing Mother's Day. Kids, it's Mother's Day. You're like super obedient today. You're doing all the dishes, all of them, twice, all the laundry. Um, everything. So, um, the, also, I remind you, the, the tables outside, men, ladies, the Bible study is going to be amazing this summer. 
go sign up, get information about cost and deadlines and registration and the same with the baby bottles. But I want to leave you with this verse. Uh, Proverbs 3, 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Church, we love you. Dismissed.